Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Boy, the college basketball season just will not leave 2016 without a bang. Welcome back to the Screen the Screener Podcast where we talk all things NCAA basketball. I am Mike Randall here with the illustrious Gus Kearns as well. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, Mike Randall. Thank you for your personal choice out there, audience, of your consumption of the Screen, the Screener podcast. We're going to manufacture this college basketball listening adventure on the evening of December 29th. Happy holidays. Happy New Year's to everybody out there. We aim to improve your commute, of course, to and fro. We're going to aid in your fantasy football detox. I hope everybody did well, everybody did well in their leagues. And we're going to give you that, and we're going to provide the talking point that you can pull up at that New Year's get-together with others it might sound something like this, quote, hey, my guy Mike Randall on Screen the Screener podcast picked Baylor preseason for the final four, unquote. It might sound a little something like that. We're always thankful, so humbled, honestly honored to chat NCAA hoops with you, Mike, and our ever-increasing audience. Uh, ahoy out there, at Scott557, love the passion, and at Henry Bushnell, and apologies to our guy, Brian Kumpner. Hopefully we got that one right. If not, we'll just try it again next podcast. Happy to have you all tune in. Welcome. You know, Gus being so nice here, he's going to pump me up with the Baylor pick. But folks, we believe in full disclosure here at the Screen the Screener podcast. So when we get the picks right, we like to brag about them. But when we get them wrong, we're also going to talk about them as well. So Gus, I think I should go back. Uh, Gus and I had a solo podcast, each one of us. I, I think I should go back and play for the people my spot on prediction about Virginia at Louisville. Let's listen to it right now. I don't see a chance that Virginia has in keeping this game close. I don't see them keeping this one close. Give me Louisville with at least a 10-point win against Virginia. If they don't, I'll be impressed. I would be shocked if Virginia won this game. Boy, I'll tell you. I mean, can I handicap a game or what? I mean, and I'll tell you, Gus, folks, Gus loved Virginia in this game. It's all over. He'll talk about it in a minute. And when he sent it to me, I said, you know... Maybe I didn't feel too good about it. It's like, uh, you know, you're playing poker, a guy calls you right away. Uh, you know, maybe that was a bad play. Uh, so, Gus, since I couldn't have been any more wrong about Virginia not having a chance in Louisville, why don't you talk to the fans about this game? I, I, I think in that – I think you used the word blowout in the second half if, if I heard <laughs> blowout. that. Blowout. <laughs> blowout. Tony Bennett's laughing at me right now. This game had a number of things you wanted to pay attention to. I think the first thing for like all the stat geeks out there uh, like ourselves, it had the number one and number two Ken Palm uh, ranked teams on defensive efficiency. Uh, Louisville being number one, Virginia being number two. Uh, so you knew it was going to be like the slobber knocker, uh, whoever was going to force their personality on the game. Um, and just from looking at the numbers themselves, I, I, I just liked Virginia getting the points here, but I didn't think they needed that many points. It, it seemed, it, it, <laughs> And the other part that blew me away with this, and we talked about this previously because we, you know, we, we, we keep going back to it. You, you tell them to shoot it all the time. London Parenthesis was only two for ten, and we, we stated on this podcast – not not three pods ago, that if he's going to shoot that way in a game against another top 10 team, Virginia's not going to have a chance, and yet he did it again, and it ended up being a blowout for UVA. It almost made no sense. It was the perfect storm. Um, but yeah, I really loved UVA uh, you know, grabbing some points here uh, and, and thought that they would just get the outright win uh, and not... <laughs> 
<laughs> follow your prescription of a second half blowout for Louisville. Yeah, and Gus is right on, folks. You got to start following Gus if you're not at Currents 12 on Twitter. Uh, you can follow the podcast at SDS Podcast as well, or myself if you want to make fun of me at Fantasy Warrior Mike, FTSY Warrior Mike on Twitter. Uh, you know, Gus, I was running around. So what I do is I put the DirecTV on downstairs. Okay, I have sure. a game on because the kids, of course, are going to watch something upstairs. So right. I have the DirecTV on downstairs going back and forth. And I didn't come into this game until about three minutes in. And I heard the announcer say something like, and London Parentis on fire or London Parentis is, you know, hits another one. And I said, here we go. Here we, <laughs> you know, I, I knew at that moment <laughs> we were toast. I was toasted. I, you know, turnaround jump shots in the lane. They, I, Gus, what I saw, tell me what you saw. They killed, yeah. they killed them on the boards, not killed them in terms of overall rebounding. I put it out on Twitter. You know, yeah. they, they, I think 31-23, something like that. Virginia rebounded them. But Louisville is big, and they got after it. They got second chances, third chances. They were one and done on defense. When they're playing defense, they got the rebound. Really got them on the backboards. I, of course, I saw the, you know, the, the, back, uh, the rebounding prowess uh, of UVA. And again, their numbers don't pop out at you. They don't have this like uh, uh, a Caleb Swanigan uh, type forward that's going to grab you, you know, your 12 rebounds. That's you know, just going to pop off the stat sheet at you. They have all of these guys pitching in, and that is like one of the, you know, one of the columns, one of the stanchions, one of the, one of the pillars uh, of the of the pack line defense. Is everybody's going to have a foot in the lane, and everybody's going to pitch in to rebound regardless of position. Um, but the other part, I mean, we we paid attention to this before, is they challenge everything inside the three-point line every pass is challenged every shot is challenged they are committed to making everything difficult inside the three-point line yes we mentioned that louisville shot it really straight over 40 percent in their win at kentucky but i think tony bennett went into this looking at that game as an anomaly for them and said okay you guys can shoot it from out there but everything inside we are going to pack it in and we are going to challenge every pass every shot uh, that you're going to run on your offense that's a two-point shot so again i just saw them in everybody's shorts a hand up closeouts and box outs and they they were just so efficient it was almost workman like like if you watch a clinic you you want to watch uva it was really impressive my friend i tip my hat to you you were totally right on the money nailed it um, my thought was because, uh, of course, they, they lost Austin Nichols. So part of me was worried about that. That again, I mentioned in the last one, last podcast, that he was still the league scorer at 11 points per game. <laughs> which is um, nuts. That's crazy. Which it doesn't matter because everyone's just going to score seven points. And if nine guys score seven points, that's 63 points for Virginia, which is fine. The other thing was that, that I underestimated is I thought that since West Virginia beat them 66 mm-hmm. 57 in, uh, in Virginia, yeah, even in though. Indiana. In UVA, even though you know it's still a low-scoring game, I thought Louisville, after beating Kentucky, was going to speed them up. They did not. Virginia controlled that tempo like a little child controls a yo-yo the entire game. Bennett's Cavaliers are now 4-1 and one against Patino's Cardinals since Louisville joined the ACC, and Louisville has only averaged, Gus, take a guess, how many points do you think Louisville has averaged in the five games against Virginia? This is just a stab in the dark here. How about 58? Uh, 50.4. 50.4 games in those five. Yeah, if they're going to do that, they're going to go very, very far. So tip my hat to the Cavs. Great job there, guys. Uh, Big win over Louisville. Totally was way, way off on that one. What we want to do now before we get into our news and notes is to take a look at some of our solo podcasts. You know, Gus and I, we're going to pick up our podcast now as we're headed towards March. So you're going to get a little solo Gus and a little solo Mike Randall from time to time. Um, But I thought Gus did an outstanding job. I really did. I thought you nailed the Fran McCaffrey ridiculousness of walking off and not shaking the hands uh, of the opposing team. And you also really did a nice job with Grayson Allen. So why don't you tell everybody just a little recap in case they missed it, your thoughts on both those things. Yeah, sure. I'd love I'd love to you know recapture some of that because it was I was very emotional about it. Um, it, it hit a number of different chords with me personally, um, and I tried to look at it through a number of different lenses uh, for all the listeners out there, depending on what you know their takeaway from it was. Um, and I felt like you you and I, Mike, have a unique view on this because we've we've had the opportunity to be like in all of these positions of of, of parent, of coach. Of, of, of Division One student athlete um, and of general fan, you know, what we are now, it didn't check any of the boxes on any of those uh, categories. It didn't make sense. If you're a fan, it didn't make sense. If, if you're an actual coach, it didn't make sense. Uh, if you were a student athlete on either side, it didn't make sense. 
Um, and, and if you're a parent, like, again, I, I use the phrase, like, he just undid years of parenting with all of those student athletes on his team and, and also on North Dakota's team. Uh, so just to review really quickly, the things I really don't like about this is Iowa was North Dakota not five or six years ago, clawing, scratching, efforting, fighting to the last buzzer to make an impact in the impossible grind that's the Big Ten. And guess what? Last year, at some point during the year, they had like a top 10 uh, resume coming into March. They were, you know, they were ranked in the top 10, uh, top 12. They, they climbed the mountain. They got from the bottom of the barrel and scratched and clawed their way the same way that North Dakota was playing to the final buzzer. And the fact that he could not look in the mirror and, and say like, hey, I really represent, I really respect those guys' efforts. And they kind of represent us from a couple of years ago. The fact that he couldn't make that connection really bothered me. As a student athlete, how many times, you know, Mike, how, how many times after a, a competition, you know, at the Division One level, did you immediately go up to who you were competing against? Fist bump, handshake, maybe a hug if you know the guy, like, hey, uh, love competing against you. See you next week. Like, how many times did we do that? And I, he just un- – he undid all of that. Listen, when I was coaching, Gus, I, I, I felt that the same way. We don't need to shake hands before, but we're going to shake hands after. All right? I hated Oops. I hated when the kids would come over to me. Good luck. I'm not wishing you luck. I, I don't wish you injury. I don't wish you pain. I just wish that you have a really bad shooting night. Okay, I'm sorry. Like that, That's how I feel. Exactly. So, uh, I, I'm hoping you're going three for 15. Yeah. Uh, LeBron James, imagine in the NBA, Le- LeBron James, goes, good luck. No, no. I, I don't need you getting 50 points and 20 rebounds. No, I, I really don't. So I, totally spot on, man. It's freaking ridiculous. And they won the game. And I talked about this one. I, you know, I sort of piggyback what you yeah. said in mind. They uh-huh. won the game. You want to say they were running it up or they were showboating and then he got mad. It's still inexcusable, but I've seen it more often. You win mm-hmm. the game and you walk off the court against two former – an Iowa assistant coach and a Mr. Basketball Iowa who's leading – I think I said leading Iowa in three-pointers made his entire career. Yeah. Bad job, McCaffrey. And you got your comeuppance, as I put on Twitter, against Purdue last night as well. Mm-hmm. The, you know, everybody saw that. And, and I'm glad that, that Purdue – it felt like they were kind of playing for everybody else that saw that, which was, um, yeah, karma's going to get you. It's going to hit you right in the face. And yeah, and and the and the other one I, I love that you talked about is Grayson Allen. And and, yeah. and real quick, and then you say you know whatever you think on it. Here's my deal right. with Allen. Right. It, 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 this is not deep. We don't need to psychoanalyze. What does it mean? Is he really? Should he be j- put in jail? No, he gets fired up. He's an intense competitor, and for some reason, his default mechanism is to trip people. It's it's nothing more than that. He's got to be suspended. Coach K did the right thing. Totally agree. My guess, Gus, three to five games somewhere in there, he'll be back. Yeah, and he should be. Exactly he should right. be back. He's not. I. It, you brought it up. It was so great. If Woodbury's eye gouging, okay, which can hurt somebody, can give yeah. him a touch retina. Grayson Allen trip. None of these players got hurt. A couple guys got banged up a little bit, but uh, listen, he had to be sit down. He's he's an emotional guy. Still a great player. The dunk. The whole thing, the threes, great, fantastic. He'll be back, but he's got to take a seat. I loved what you had to say about it. Yeah, it, it just needs it needs space and time, it, and and he needs attention from somebody else in that basketball family because obviously the you know it's and and the attention you're going to get there is, is top shelf. You're, you're, I mean, Coach K has won gold medals. He's won national championships. You're you're, you're not going to get a better influence than Coach K, but it needs space and time, and it needs another voice. Because obviously the voices that were talking to Grayson Allen weren't fixing the problem. So step away, hear another voice, probably telling him the exact same message, like stop being a dope, uh, make a better decision in the heat of the moment. And your decisions in the heat of the moment are putting other people in danger. And that's a no-no. Like hey. one- once, once that happens, then then action needs to be taken. And Gus, I, I think the thing that annoyed people the most is this ridiculous – every time he's done it, which is three times, he looks like, oh, I didn't mean to do it. Oh, why are you upset? No, you meant to do it. Part of us, I think, would accept it more if it was like Charles Oakley where when he fouled you hard, he stood there and stared at you because he wanted to foul you hard. You can respect that. It's the – you know, he goes on the bench. He's punching the chair. Grayson, you tripped him. You tripped him. You stuck your foot out. Enough. Let's move on. Okay, Of course, it's going to be a technical foul. And I didn't want – last year – when it happened the first time, I ignored it. I said, whatever, it's ridiculous. Happened the second time, I'm kind of like, all right, maybe there's something to this. Happens the third time, he's got to be suspended. No problem, a technical. Coach can only play him for three minutes. It's fine. Everybody did the right thing. Grayson, 
go calm down, come up with something else, bite your shirt, whatever you want to do, come back. We want to see you on the court, right? Yeah, I, I like the bite the shirt option. I like that. That, 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 could, that could work. Anything. Hey, please, anything. Ma- or, or, mouth guard maybe? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah mouth guard. Very sure, good. That's a great yeah, example. Right. Do that. You can paint it black if you want, if that's your thing. Fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you can have like the Halloween teeth on it. That'd be awesome. Love it. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> and I just want to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned on your podcast, uh, your solo podcast, that um, – yeah, I, I just wanted to piggyback on uh, the loss of Azubuki for uh, Kansas is going to be huge. However, I think we mentioned this a couple of podcasts back. I think this is now going to force them to play uh, a similar fashion that Duke played last year with their four out lineup, you know, Jeter and Plumley in the middle. So I think putting Josh Jackson at the four is going to be awesome. It's going to be cool to watch, but it's definitely going to hurt them inside defensively. And when they go up a, a team like... Like, let's just throw um, the two teams that we're going to talk about later, UCLA and Oregon, that have real bigs that can really play. Like, that loss is going to come up huge. And Pinson coming back for UNC. Like, wouldn't it be great to throw him out on the wing to, like, get in Monk's pants a little bit so he doesn't go for 47? Yeah. Some option. Yeah, Pinson's going to be a problem. It's very underrated. Somehow with this whole Kentucky, UCLA, Duke thought, like, I I know I did. I'll speak for myself. Underrated UNC a little bit. Um they are really good. Pinson is the lockdown defender that they need. I mean, if he plays that game against Kentucky, I, you know, Monk, I think, doesn't have 47. Okay, the whole thing. So I sure. uh, um, I agree with that. And, yeah, listen, Azabuki's going to be big. He's he's putting Mihailik in there, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Mihailik's been mm-hmm. hot in the games that he's played the last four games. I do think it hurts him on the boards. I, I think Lucas has to be big now. Bragg, they're certainly wiping their brow. Um, <laughs> that, that like like he did when he beat Memphis for that title. That he Fair was question. not yeah, that he came back because they need him inside. But he's got great guard play. We know that. Um, I got an argument on Twitter. I said that Maurice Watson Jr. is the best point guard in the country. Some gentleman reminded me about Frank Mason. Uh, yes, either or uh, would be very very good. But they, they're going to be fine. But I do think they have to adjust and self can do it. Uh, but as I mentioned, my friend, they may have a little trouble with a big team in, down in Texas that wears green in the Big Twelve. Maybe. We'll see how it goes. Or fluorescent yellow. Depending <laughs> well on. done. Yes. Very yeah. well done. Very yeah. nice. Uh, and then I'm totally on board with you uh, with Buzz. I think he's doing great stuff at Virginia Tech. And you know my feelings about Dayton and Scoochie Smith. Love Scoochie. Totally underrated college point guard. And, I, you know, we talked about Cook uh, and Davis and the other seniors there. As long as they can define their roles a little bit better after the injury problems. And now that Pollard is back, that's going to help with that. I'm totally on board with Dayton, too. They're going to be an issue in the A-10. And they're very much like, uh, you know, the team that we talked about earlier, UVA. They're going to they're gonna try to control it and play the game at their pace. They're not necess- necessarily, the uh, you know, defensive stalwart that, that UVA is, but they are going to try to control pace. So I'm, I'm with you on Dayton, too. So, yeah, I, I, uh, th- thanks for doing it. I enjoyed listening to it, and I hope the audience did, too. Yeah, same. Same, man. I, we got some really good stuff out there from both of us. We want to keep giving you content, folks. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can always uh, email us sdspodcast at gmail.com you can follow us on itunes follow us on stitcher uh, please feel free to subscribe and tune in radio as well if you love the podcast give it five stars we love those ratings we're growing real rapidly but we're going to try to hit you with some more uh, podcasts during the week so we're trying to get three out going to get some solo from time to time and we got some fun things uh, coming for the people gus yeah, I don't mind giving uh, you know the shorter podcast. Maybe somebody's got a, s- a shorter commute. The lunch, maybe your lunch time that you would listen to it has uh, shrunk up, and you're trying to do some things during the new year. So uh, we'll see how it works out, and uh, we're hoping to get uh, a little bit more information in your ears out there, listeners. No doubt, and uh, boy, we have a packed, packed podcast today, folks. So let's hit uh, let's hit our news and notes. News and notes from the hardwood. We took a look at a couple of games. Uh, hopefully you guys viewed them too. So we're just going to try to give you our breakdown of what we saw for the, some of those. And we're, because we were talking defense, because we've been talking UVA, uh, because we mentioned Dayton, uh, play of pace, we're going to go take a look at Cincy, number 23, playing at Temple uh, in the AAC. Uh, first thing. Aren't these two of the most underrated coaches in the nation? Coach Dumphy does a great job, and Mick Cronin does a great job. I feel both of these guys are just under the radar as far as great coaches go, Um, uh, not just in their league or on the East Coast, but definitely just in the nation. Um, The way the game started, since he went on a 9-0 run, so let's just talk some defense right there because they're obviously shutting down Temple and giving them a bunch of problems. The Bearcats seem seem in the habit of holding opponents under 65 points again. And, you know, we talked to Ken Palm numbers earlier. 
Guess who's number five defensively in Ken Palm, uh, defensive efficiency? That's right. It's the Bearcats. Um, they play this like amoeba-ish, like man-to-man, and, and, and viewing it is, is, is kind of like watching art in motion. I, I felt like they were so connected defensively, um, like on a skip pass. You just, just watch how every Bearcat like shifts laterally in lockstep. It's kind of creepy how in tune they are with each other on the defensive end. Like I just saw them like it was almost like a defensive drill. They were all shuffling at the same time. Um, They spray out on three-point threats when they're one pass away, and they slough off uh, and pack it in UVA style when they identify a non-shooter on the perimeter. Uh, Conversely, uh, whenever Temple had a deep paint touch, that post player was swarmed by Bearcats, and they forced a, a a contested shot, a turnover, or a panicked kickout. The amount of turnovers since he forced early against Temple, who's usually very sure-handed. Think about how they handled that win with UVA and the press. Like, Temple has shown a propensity to handle the ball really well in pressure situations. So that was really surprising that since he got in there and was able to create these turnovers early with, uh, you know, with that uh, uh, West Virginia win on their resume. Um, Temple throws up a three-quarter press to shake things up. But really, this Cincinnati unit, like this edition of the Cincinnati Bearcats, now have like three or four strong ball handlers on the court. They have Clark, they have Evans, they have Copain. In the past year, this fell solely on the point guard, Copain, or whoever's playing point guard for Coach Cronin. Pressing Cincy to get you back in the game might not be the move this year. Um, I almost wish this game was like a little bit later in the season, because I bet these teams will be playing for the regular season championship, maybe throw an SMU. Uh, maybe throw in Houston. Um, and speaking of defensive side of the ball, I bet a few folks missed out on something that we'll get to a little bit um, with San Diego State University. Um, but before we get to San Diego State, um, Mike, did you have any thoughts on Cincy, Coach Cronin, um, or maybe what Temple did to try to thwart uh, the Bearcats' effort? Yeah, it was a fun. It was a fun game. I enjoyed it. I I, I will reveal. My secret crush, I was going to save it for Valentine's Day, it's Mick Cronin and the Bearcats. I want them to be good. Yeah, I, I want them to be good. I like Mick Cronin. He does a great job. He's very underrated. So is Dumphy. You hit it right on the head. Both of them are very underrated. I want to see Cincy do well. It's a tough, old-school, old-school defense-minded team, and, and, I, and I love it. They are 11-2 and this year. Their losses, of course, is, to, is at Butler. No shame there. They did win at Iowa State, which was a huge win by 155-54. And then they lost early on to Rhode Island, 76-71. But they've done a real nice job. This is a good win at Temple. Um, they're in the American. I think they're the favorites now. Now that um, Connecticut's out, I know SMU is around as well. This was a knockdown drag out fight. Not well attended. Uh, in Temple, which certainly helped Cincinnati. There was not a, a lot of fan base there. There were some empty seats, but it was uh-huh. an enjoyable game to watch. And the game flow was very close as well. Um, 9-0, like you said, Temple to start the, to start the game. Cincinnati got up 8 late before Temple closed it. Uh, balanced scoring across the board. Real nice job. Really enjoyed it. Good win for Cincinnati. I'm rooting for them because I want to see them do very, very well. And it just seems like they, like Virginia, make you play at their pace. Copain scoring is down. He's a leading scorer last year. He is not this year, but he is a very smart, heady point guard that keeps everything under wraps for them. So uh, kudos, good win across the board. Temple 9-5. and five. They've had some losses there, but they're going to be tough as well. Remember last year they gave Iowa all they can handle. Um, oh, yeah. And if they had won that game, they're going to play round of 32 against Villanova. I know Villanova's the champions, but they're not going to want to see a big five school in, in the NCAA tournament because they will have no fear. So good win for Cincinnati. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, I'm kind of on the Cincinnati Bearcat bandwagon with you a little bit. I don't know if I'm going to go as far as secret crush on Crone. <laughs> although, although I, I do it, I do love that you're spreading the love. I, I, I admire that. Um, but you know, since we're talking pace and, and defensive stance and 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 you know, uh, trying to force your personality on the game, there's another like under the radar game that I got my eyes on, and it was uh, the final of the Diamond Head Classic out in Hawaii, uh, San Diego State. 62 over San Francisco, 48. Now, you want to talk about holding teams under 65 points. How about holding a team under 50 again? Um, this is San Diego State was very UVA, and, and, and Coach Fisher is, is, and it really preaches this defensive, um, this defensive uh, style of play and the pace of play. Um, this edition of the Aztecs might be the most athletic and the most offensively gifted one 
since that Sweet 16 team with Kawhi Leonard, uh, Bill White, DJ Gay, who lost to Kemba and UConn, the eventual champs that year. Um, how about we start with the athletic rundown? Zylan Cheatham. If you didn't see the breakaway dunk that he had in this game, he took off from well outside the lane, threw it down like hammer-wise. He's 6'9". Um, he's not to be confused with either of the other Oregon Duck Dillons or Nobel Peace Prize uh, winner Bob Dylan. Cheatham does a little bit of everything. He's kind of like a mini Kawhi, uh, 12-ish points, uh, 8-ish boards. Uh, he can switch on to smaller players on pick and rolls. He can post it. He can defend down low against other bigs. Um, he can even you know, run the break like TJ Leaf style uh, when he gets the opportunity. Uh, another sophomore, 6'3 guard, Jeremy Hen- uh, uh, Hemsley. He's shooting some crazy percentages. You, you know I love the, the, these numbers and these stats, right, Mike? So we got 50% overall from the field, 55% from three. Yeah, yeah. And that's with 30 makes from three. It's not just like he's shooting like one a game. Those are amazing numbers. The last time I heard 50, the only time I've heard 50 from three is Getty Potts. Those are amazing, amazing numbers. Yeah. So, I mean, he definitely makes it from downtown. I, I, I thought this was like Xavier Thames type like production, if you remember him. Uh, wow. That's a great call right there. Uh, uh, and Fisher always likes having like one of these anchor guys, right? Uh, and Trey Kell is that guy this year. He's like one of those Aztec lifers. Think like J.J. O'Brien or Shepard from a couple years ago. Um, he is the trusted veteran that Fish- Fisher always leans on really heavily. He's got nice numbers so far. Uh, you know, 13 points, uh, four boards, three assists for a team that slows it down on purpose. So he's not going to put up big offensive numbers. Um, and you know what else I, th- I saw too? How about Matt Shrigley? He is pulling his finest Max Hooper impersonation. Remember Max Hooper from Oakland a couple years ago? Yes, yeah. Where all he did was like shoot threes and shoot them unbelievably efficiently. It seems like Shrigley just comes in and that's his job. He just comes in and bombs it from deep like nobody's business. Um, and he's you know he's shooting a ton of them every game. That, and and you know obviously a high percentage of his shots come from the three point line. And he's shooting a thirty eight percent. So why not just keep giving it to him and let let him bomb it? Um, and not dissimilar to Cincy this year, the offensive options are kind of like a novelty this year for the Aztecs and Coach Fisher. Usually they're kind of uh, uh, challenged offensively, and they, they um, run offense like through the high post, um, through their most skilled player. Um, but this year they have uh, options, much like Cincy has options this year. Um, and throw in, they didn't have Mark Pope, uh, Malik Pope, for this game. He's a former Paul Biancardi uh, top 60 recruit, 6'10", and he can shoot it from three last year. Uh, last year, he shot 37% from three. So marry this predictable defense from San Diego State with a slightly more efficient offense. And San Diego State's going to be an issue in the Mountain West again. And come March, any coach in America is going to let out that like loud, honest groan. Like the, uh, if they're matched up with San Diego State in the March in first round. Like they don't want to see the Aztecs in their bracket at all. Um, P.S. Both of these games added up. Um, you know, the, the Cincinnati game and the San Diego State game added up to about like what the next game is we're going to talk about for the entire game, um, the UCLA and Oregon game. Um, the, the, you know, we're, so we're going juxtapose here. We're going uh, two defensive stalwarts, and now we're just going to get into some offensive flow and almost like offensive poetry with these next two teams. Yeah, I'll tell you, know, San Diego State's interesting. So Gus just gave you a great rundown there. The Mountain West has been a massive, massive disappointment in the NCAA tournament. 2016, only team that made it in was Fresno. They were one and done. 2015, yeah. Wyoming, San Diego State, and Boise got in. San Diego State won. The other two lost. 2014, New Mexico, Alford wins the regular season, wins the tournament. Has uh, New Mexico has the, uh, the net around his head, goes out, loses to Harvard round one. 2013, Colorado State. UNLV, Colorado State wins one round, then they get pounded by Louisville. UNLV, one and done. The Mountain West has failed to show up big time in this tournament. But listen, I'm not giving them any credit. I don't think America is. Gus could be onto something here with San Diego State because sometimes these teams that they you don't expect much from, and Fisher's a great coach. He's been around the whole, the, um, you know, Fab, four, Fab Five, the whole thing. So it's something to pay attention to. But Mountain West, you got to show me something in the tournament. But NC, San Diego State could be a team that could make a run if they get it. 
Yeah, I just feel like they 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 have a little different uh, they have a little different uh, feel in their deck of cards this year. Like you know that they're going to throw uh, a whole bunch of things at you, uh, monkey wrench wise defensively. But I feel like they have some off uh, some offensive options this year. So I think they're an interesting team to pay attention to. And again, one of those teams that gets lost on the West Coast that you know we may or may not stay up to watch. Uh, I'm going to stay up to watch them if they're on for sure. Well, one team that I did stay up to watch, my friend, last night was UCLA. That game, yes, Oregon. What an incredible, incredible basketball game. Now, listen, I, I certainly I was personally invested because I got Oregon going to the Final Four. Just, mm-hmm. to, just to stick it back to Mark from Florida, our frequent uh, emailer to the show here. Uh, but Dylan Brooks finally looked like he was back. And this was a tough haul for Oregon. Uh, Dylan Brooks, he's back. He's the play, again, player at the year table. We have welcomed him back in. Josh Hart has been sitting there getting seconds and thirds so far. But he is back. We got Frank Mason there. Lonzo Ball. I can't say enough, Gus, about Lonzo Ball. They really did a job on him. The shots were not falling. And then mm-hmm. if you didn't see this game, folks, three threes he had in the late second half in about a two-and-a-half, three-minute span in a row on the road. The kid has the gene, that special gene that just you can step up and make shots. But what a game this was. And, of course, the Dylan Brooks shot, Gus, at the end uh, was just icing on the cake. So, you know, again, we'd like to welcome uh, Dylan Brooks to the, 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 the player of the year dinner table. You know, he might look across the table and see Caleb Swan again sitting next to Alex Peters. Um, he might see Markel Fotes like trying to pull up a chair somewhere, you know, maybe to get in one of the folding chairs and trying to get in the corner. Um, but welcome back to the player of the year dinner table, Dylan Brooks. We are so happy to have you. Please grab a plate, grab a fork and dig in, young man. Um, that shot should be right next to Monk's shot against UNC. For play of the year, yeah, so, so true. right. Yep. Uh, but here's here's the one thing I think separates it from the monk shot. It was really well contested. Like he was off balance. It wasn't in rhythm. That wasn't a rhythm three pointer by any means. Um, and whereas the miss from Monk would lead to overtime, probably unless there was some sort of crazy offensive rebound um, with the score tied at 100. Um, Brooks shot change the outcome of the game and both shots should be celebrated you know all american players doing all american type things in like the moment that defines seasons and even defines careers like so both of those guys should be celebrated for both of their shots for sure um uh what else did you get your eyes on here a couple things boucher is out of the boot he did look a little sluggish but i think he had 9.7 rebounds so he definitely was a factor i loved the discipline that ucla showed in this game gus there were times late in the game where ball would break the press and he makes the game so simple he drives he gets by his man because he's super fast he drives at the big you must leave to double him he kicks to welsh baseline jumper good he kicks to leaf baseline jumper good he kicks to alford who's a spectacular three-point shooter it's just that they sit there and they just say how do you want us to score on you ucla was so impressive in that last 10 minutes of that game unbelievable but this was a game that oregon needed i think it got their confidence going and the player that stood out to me was freshman peyton pritchard Mm. last year with Benson and Benson was okay I think he averaged like five points a game six points a game something like that but to have a point guard who really isn't a threat to score late in the game does hurt your team particularly in March they had a nice run last year so I can't say anything but this year Pritchard as a freshman in the last three minutes he made two free throws when Oregon was down eight to close it to six which was huge he hit a layup when they were, I think they were down six or four with about a minute and a half left. And he hit a three with 15 seconds left that they were down four. If he misses that shot, the game's over. Yeah. So big time play by Pritchard. We know Brooks is good. Boucher's going to get better. Dorsey, Dylan Innes is still rounding in the form, I think, the transfer from Villanova. But the guy that stood out to me, point guard Peyton Pritchard, because he's only going to get better as a freshman. And you know what? The other thing about Pritchard, too, I was unbelievably impressed with the shot making uh, late game situation for sure. Uh, his, his, you know, his driving layup was contested. That three pointer was contested. Uh, uh, UCLA closed out really strong on him. Um, I think it's the first time all season for the Ducks where I've seen Pritchard and Benson play together. So it was like I feel like the Brooks injury and, and the Boucher injury are, are kind of forcing Coach Allman to to make these like. 
you know, out of the box, like lineup configurations um, that are paying huge dividends. Like the, the, the Pritchard is finding more time on the floor and it totally helped them win that game. I mean, everybody's going to point to the Brook shot, but if Pritchard doesn't have his, you know, if he doesn't go off for that little string of points there, then there's no chance that they can win that game. Um, and I loved when Pritchard was kind of matched up. He was matched up for a couple of possessions with Lonzo Ball, so it was like freshman on freshman. You can tell that they were totally feeling each other out. It was, it was pretty yeah. cool to watch that part. Um, you know what I you know what I paid attention to too in the second half because the, again the first half was very predictable. Everybody's near fifty points. Uh, it looks like we're heading towards hundred again. The Ducks transition defense definitely tightened up in the second half. Yeah, for sure. It, it, they yeah. they got back. They hustled back. Bell hustled back. Um, uh, 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 Boucher hustled back. Um, they, they were they were not just letting them run out and and like you mentioned like letting ball make offensive decisions for the best shot available um, and you know what was really interesting here too it was the bigs the bigs played unbelievably big here UCLA almost every game they're going to play all year including against Kentucky are going to have an advantage with their bigs uh, Welsh Leaf Anabogu and even Goleman like all of those guys are skilled um, and but Oregon can match it. They have Boucher, they have Bell, and even Big B Williams came in and was really effective defensively and grabbed a couple boards. So it's almost like UCLA's um, night after night, game after game advantage was totally negated here by the great bigs that Oregon can put out on the floor. Um, and Bell is even shooting a couple threes this year. Um, and Oregon, I'm not sure if everybody knows this, they are among the league leaders in block shots in the nation, yep. only eight a game. Yep. So. Yeah, so those big, like the the usual advantage UCLA has with their bigs, they're super skilled bigs, NBA bigs, totally matched, and maybe in this case, you know, even uh, up the ante a little bit by the Ducks. Love the matchups here. You hit it on the head. Leaf had thirteen, Welsh had twenty, Alford had twenty, Hamilton only had two. Had a bad game. Uh, I think yeah. he, I think he drew Dorsey a lot of the time. I think that was the reason why. <laughs> Ball had fourteen, most of it in the second half. Um, Holiday can do some more things for UCLA. Even Walton talked about he was only two at ten. Holiday is a major spark for them off the bench. For Oregon, Bell thirteen, Dylan Brooks twenty three. By the way, he had twenty three and nine rebounds, and I think that's going to be a key for him. He's got to get involved on the boards and just sort of be like a you know, poor man's Russell Westbrook like guy. He's got to get involved by doing other things other than scoring because he's got to help this team as well, especially with Boucher rounding in the form. Um, Ennis had 10, Dorsey 11. They just It was a beautiful basketball game is what it was, and a great, great win for Oregon. The, um, and, and, you know, just to, speak, just to speak a little bit more on Brooks and, you know, pray, you know, lump a little more praise in his direction, I was super impressed with both Pritchard and Brooks yep. on the defensive end. Yep. Like, they are way better on the ball defenders than I remember or than we thought probably. Um, they both compete ultra hard. Oh, and, and yeah, and, and Gus, listen, this was sloppy. I mean, there was a time there in the second half where there was some turnovers, some travels. Oregon was definitely not in their peak form, for sure. Mm. When Ball put them up about eight, I think it was, I said, ah, this is going to be a tough loss. They're just not ready. Boucher wasn't ready. Brooks is still not 100%. That's what I was thinking in my head. So those, right. like we said, like the Kentucky game uh, that, that we talked about, we love when things happen that, that, that you don't expect. Yeah. Kentucky, UNC, it was the same thing here watching it. Brooks let that three go. I said to myself in my head, watching it down here, man, if that goes in, this is a great game. <laughs> <laughs> that was an unbelievably contested shot. I was so impressed with Brooks. Holy smokes! Um, you know what? I, uh, last thought on Brooks, and then I think I'm kind of done. Uh, you know, the, you know, re- reaping praise for him and, and 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 telling him how good he is and, and welcoming back to the Player of the Year table. You know who you remind me of a little bit now that he's a little bit has a little bit more of his offensive flow uh, back. Allen Houston. Oh, such a good comparison. Oh like, gosh, he gets the ball in that triple threat position at the three point line. And he takes you through a series of jab steps, and, and you kind of don't know what he's going to do because he, he can bring it to the hole. Um, he can shoot it from deep. He, he does have a mid-range game. That is such a good comparison, Gus. Yeah. Uh, we got to put that on Twitter. I'm putting that out tomorrow. You want to okay. know, know who – that is the perfect comparison. So good. Uh, and then if, if we did not talk a bit about the broadcast, we would be remiss. Uh, I would like – you know, you, you sent out your, uh, you know, your early Valentine to McCronin. I'm just sending out my early Valentine to, to ESPN's West Coast uh, announced team. Love Roxy, love Walton. Um, thankfully, we had both those guys in this conference of champions clash. And and there was a tie-dye shirt on screen for a long amount of time, which I love. Um, we got our Bob Dylan reference before the first TV timeout. I mean, who would have thought you'd take the under on that? Um, 
and just some other Walton nuggets. His his self deprecation is is so endearing that you you can't help but wrap your arms around it. Um, when when talking about how old he is, he he said, "I'm a dinosaur." You gotta love like he calls himself a dinosaur. When when talking about a, a a prior game that they lost in Oregon when he was at UCLA, he calls himself a disgrace. And then when he was describing uh, the golem on uh, a breakaway uh, layup, he, he he described it as the the Hungarian waltz. Like yeah. who does that? Like and there is so true. And there's no uh, there's no announcer in all of college basketball who elicits such a strong response. I mean, no. he's sitting there going on how you're going to give Oregon a T. Because the fans ran on the court. No, you're not. Right, you're not right. going to give a technical foul because Dylan Brooks just recovered and Oregon beat undefeated UCLA in an intra-conference game. You're not giving them a technical. If you do refs, shame on you. I don't care if it's a rule, okay? Yeah. Enough with the rules. I mean, you're not supposed to go through a red light either. Who listens to this podcast is not going through a red light? You want to get a ticket? Go down to the police station. I just want to report myself. Stop it. But he, but honestly, he's really, really funny. And he yeah. makes some comparisons that just makes me laugh out loud. He gets a huge response. Yeah, you're not, you're not sure. I, I don't know what I enjoy the most. I don't know if it's like his, you know, self-deprecation humor, the, the you know, the, the like, you know, the geography lesson that you get on wherever he's visiting on the West Coast or the predictable musical reference. It's, it's late night sports broadcasting gold. And, and you know what? Roxy is an excellent foil for Walton. He even presented. Did you see this part? He presented Bill Walton with a typed book report. No, <laughs> um, I did not. It's great. Uh, a typed book report about uh, Shoe Dog, which uh, they interviewed uh, Nike icon uh, Phil Knight, who was in the crowd, uh, obviously. Um, you know, the court is named after his, his deceased son. And, and, and so he types up this, this book report about Shoe Dog, the, the book that Phil Knight wrote. And, and, he, and he showed it on, on – they showed it on, on the screen. I love that he brought something to get into like Walton's craw. I, I love it. They're, they're a great team. I hope uh, we hear him again uh, later on this season. Yeah, it, it does. It does a great job, and he's not your you know traditional canned say nothing controversial. He's the total opposite, and, and I'll take him every day of the week. Even though some days he drives me crazy. That's that's yeah. why that's what you want to do. You want to listen to him. Um, and listen, folks, there are so many great games we talked about, but there's even more that are coming up. These next few days are going to be action packed. So Gus. You know, it's New Year's Eve coming up, so let's head out early to New York City, as I like to say, and let's head to Broadway. On Broadway. All right, the first one I think we got to look at here is we have to talk about West Virginia tomorrow traveling to Oak State. There are three Big 12 games tomorrow where the favorite is on the road. We're going to start with this one. Um, Baylor's going to Oklahoma as well, and we have Kansas going to TCU. But this one's important. Brad Underwood's first year at Oklahoma State. He coached Stephen F. Austin. They beat West Virginia last year in the tournament, okay? So he's beaten them before. He's heading in. West Virginia's coming in. I've looked at the Oklahoma State Twitter accounts. They're very, very fired up. And listen, we have not talked about Oak State so far, but it's time to bring them up now. They blew out. Wichita State, Gus, at the Intrust Bank Arena in downtown Wichita, which ended Wichita State's 42-game winning streak against non-conference opponents at home. Five of those games were in the Intrust Bank Arena. This was not on campus because it was during the break, but it was at the arena where they have also had a lot of experience as well. They beat UConn in Maui. They beat Georgetown by 27 in Maui. Um, they crushed Wichita, like we said, 93-76 and only lost twice this season. They were blown out in the semis by UNC. No shame there predictable and they lost a tough one point loss at maryland a true road game on december 4th they did a great job on mellow trimble in that game though holding him to 13 points on four of 12 shooting including zero five from three point point range just to go back and revisit that game yep. super quickly, um, uh, Mello, that was one of the games that he won by himself at the foul line, making uh, three or four foul shots with like under 10 seconds to go. And I'm going to tell you, your guy that you're going to talk about, Jawan Evans, almost pulled the rabbit out of the hat in that Maryland game. He made this crazy, after the buzzer, behind the backboard, uh, a follow-up uh, jump shot <laughs> that was like a game from horse or like that Larry Bird uh, commercial from McDonald's where they were throwing the ball off the Raptors uh, to, to play horse against one another. Um, so he almost pulled out that game and out mellow trembled, mellow tremble. Um, but he is playing out of his mind. And, and I have take lock 
on Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma State, which I want to stop. Take lock, folks, is when you have a lock on a team, a vision of what happens to them, and you refuse to entertain the idea that something different could happen. Travis Ford was there, Gus. They underachieved. They underachieved in tournament every single year. They were the five seed when they had Marcus Smart. They got blown up by Oregon. Oregon was under seed. It was the 12 seed. I don't want to hear it. They were never good in the tournament every single year, and they underachieved. So I guess that is my take lock on Oak, Oak State, but they can do a lot by changing it tomorrow. They are led by 6-1 sophomore. You said it, Juwan Evans. He's averaging 20.2 points per game this season. He's those. Here comes the numbers that you love. 48% from the field, 56% from the three-point line, 79 almost 80% from the foul line. He's Man. a great all-around scorer. He's got Jeffrey Carroll as well. Um, fellow guard who's second in scoring with 16.2 points per game. And, of course, Phil Forte is still there and is third with 13.1 points per game. Underwood's ready for this game. The Cowboy Twitter account is excited. Huggy Bear's coming in. Gus, should Huggy be worried? Definitely. Here's why. The press, again, is like the um, talent limiter. So if the talent is um, swayed one way or the other, the press can totally negate that. Um, the talent here is going to be pretty even. And it's possible that they might have Oak, Oak State might have the two best players on the court with Evans and Carroll. I'm not I'm not 100 sold on that. They definitely have the best player. Um, so when you have the best player in a talent on talent matchup, he should be worried. And Evans is crazy explosive. Like he is going to find seams in that press. And if he gets in the open court and breaks that initial press that they're going to try to get in the back court, look out. I mean, he's not afraid to take an open three, take it to the hole, or give it to a teammate. So, yes, he needs to be very worried about Jawan Evans and this press and maybe rethink how he's going to do things um, against this super speedy point guard. Yes, he should be on alert, and this is definitely a game worth watching because I want to see what Jawan Evans does with this crazy press, um, and I want to see if if he tires, does he get labored, or, or does he get energized because he goes, I, I got this. And, and, you know, when a player says, I got this, and then, and then you know, they, they start finding uh, more openings. They start seeing the court uh, with a wider view and a different lens. Uh, I'm kind of hoping that happens with Juwan Evans. Yeah, but West Virginia is the classic sum is greater than the parts group. They're like, Always. Yeah, they're yeah. like Cincinnati on steroids. Um, their only loss this year was in the NIT season tip-off at Madison Square Garden. Um, they were 11-1, and including a very impressive 66-57 we talked about at Virginia. Um, this is a real team. You got Issa Ahmad at 12.9. Nathan Adrian, of course, 10.5 points per game. Javon Carter, 9.8. No one's going, Gus, 30 minutes per game. They go mm-hmm. up, they get down, they get their rest. But they got seven guys averaging seven points or more. Um, they're looking to contend with Kansas for that 13th straight Big 12 title, and it looks like it's Baylor and West Virginia. But this is a game the Mountaineers need to win if they're going to be a contender because they should win this game. Um, and this would be go this would go a long way to helping them in this in the standings. And then they they get a nice road win here at Oak State, or Oak State's going to come back and say, "Hey guys, why don't you start talking about us because we're really yep. good." Also, uh, th- I think this is going to be a true telling game for how you uh, mentioned uh, your feelings on uh, West Virginia earlier. You said you were a little down on them. I think this is like the perfect opportunity for you to be either 100% correct on them like you like they may be a little bit off of where people thought or you know and they and they and you know, Joan Evans blows them up and, and Oak State goes crazy or you know maybe they shut them down and and they hold Oklahoma State to under 50 like you know other teams have been doing um, I'll give you I'll give you a little teaser here before you talk about Kansas TCU so I put yeah. out on Twitter tonight a uh, college basketball team in the Big 12 that's most in danger tomorrow Ooh. and we got 67 votes in so far so the leader right now is Baylor at Oklahoma getting 48%. Folks, what? come on. The, I, I don't care. I, I got the Virginia game wrong. I don't care. I'm going back to the bold predictions here. Wait till we get to, by the way, th- we're going to end this podcast with the Creighton-Villanova prediction. I got that one ready for you too, Gus. Uh, Baylor is not losing Oklahoma, folks. So 48% of you are completely wrong. Mike, this is Mike Randall telling you you're wrong. Uh, 40% of the responses said West Virginia at Oak State, so people agree with it. And only uh, 12%, Gus, say Kansas could be in trouble at TCU. Um, mm-hmm. But as as uh, Lee Corsa would say, not so fast, my friends. Talk, talk about it, Gus. So, you know, Mike mentioned last uh, last podcast that it, it's, you know, they're not going to be, they're going to be without uh, Azubuki. Um, it's going to be a big loss inside. Uh, defensively, they're going to be shorthanded. Um, they're going to have to run things a little differently, uh, de- uh, scheme-wise. Defensively, uh, they're going to have to play more four out, one in offensively, uh, which should be fun to watch. 
but it may, uh, self is definitely going to have to adjust here. Uh, so to compound the Jayhawks uh, trip to Fort Worth, Texas, um, they're taking on a team that's been rejuvenated. Um, they are under the direction of the former player, Jamie Dixon. The Horn Frogs are 10-1. and Their only loss, unbelievably respectable at SMU, very good SMU team. Um, this is a dangerous game for Kansas because nobody knows if TCU is good or not. Are they for real or are they not for real? We do know that they're going to be active defensively. Uh, we do know that Kansas' backcourt is going to give them trouble. Um, but they do have an awesome double-double machine, Kendrick Williams, uh, 10 points, 10 boards. Love that guy. Total undersized, like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guy for TCU. Um, TCU is going to have a balanced scoring attack, kind of like we read off the numbers for uh, West Virginia. Um, they have four guys at 10 points a game. Uh, they will shoot the three. Uh, six players with 26 or more three-point attempts, so they'll put it up. Uh, uh, Dixon has given them the green light. Uh, should Kansas win? Yeah, sure. But is this game frisky? Is it interesting? Is it an interconference game on the road where the, the, the favorite is on the road? Yeah, it is. So you need to pay attention to it. Uh, great coach and Coach Dixon. Uh, it's a little bit of a David versus Goliath game. A little dangerous for Kansas, so be aware. Uh, for Kansas, we know that Mason, we know Graham, we know Josh Jackson are all going to play a huge role. But Mike Randall mentioned the X Factor earlier. Shvi Mihailuk, the last four games, listen to this. Averaging almost 30 minutes a game, his feet are on the floor. Averaging about 15 points per game. And he's shooting a great percentage from three, about 43%. And he's putting it up. He's taken 63s this year so far. So he's going to be part of that, uh, that, you know, that four out, one in offense. Um, and now they're going to have to rely really heavily on Landon Lucas and Carlton Bragg. Thank goodness he's back for the, for the Jayhawks. Um, and they were very impressive with a win at UNLV. Uh, they were up 42-20 at the half. Um, are they going to keep rolling in Big 12 play, and are they going to go for another championship? It's going to start against TCU, and we'll see. Yeah, this is a big game. I think people are sleeping on it. Uh, I, I think that once you lose Azubuki, there's an adjustment period. Josh Jackson is the key player in this game. He's had, over the last four games, 12 rebounds uh, against um, uh, UMKC, six rebounds against Nebraska, eight rebounds against Davidson, and then nine rebounds against UNLV. He's got to hit the boards and make up for because Landon Lucas is not a huge rebounder inside. And TCU, of course, is led, as you mentioned, by the dangerous, dangerous double guy inside, Kendrick Williams. So this is a frisky game. Mihailik, you know, good shooter, not a great defender. This is tricky. I would not be shocked to see TCU win this game. Um, if you made me pick, would I pick Kansas? Yes, I would. But I think this is a single-digit game either way. TCU's okay. ready. Dixon is back. They're going to be excited. He is a, a seasoned coach that has coached big games before. Look out, Kansas, because you could be coming into a buzzsaw. This is not going to be a 42-20 game like UNOV, I can tell you that. Uh, next one after that, I think we got to go back to Oregon. Are they still partying, Gus? I mean, is, is, is the party over yet? I'm not sure. But uh, Bill, Bill Walton may still be partying. I don't know. Yeah, I know. He had a tie-dye shirt, too. I forgot to say that. Yeah, so that, that <laughs> right. um, but in comes U, USC. Uh, and, and listen, big 89-87 win over UCLA for Oregon. The Ducks are finally healthy. They're ready to go. But do not sleep on USC. We don't again in one of these teams, they are welcoming in an undefeated team coached by Andy Enfield, of course, from Florida Gulf Coast, Dunk City, the you know, USC, they're ranked twenty-two in the country. And just like TCU, what are the Trojans good? Are they not good? Uh, are they gonna be a contender? We need to see who's gonna stand up. It's gonna happen against against Oregon for sure. USC, quick rundown for you, Gus. They won at Texas AM 65-63. They've beaten SMU and BYU at home. Nice wins. 14-0 record. They won on the road at Oregon State in their Pac-12 home opener, beating a team they should be by a wide margin, 70-63. They're led in the backcourt by McLaughlin and Elijah Stewart. McLaughlin, he's sort of a do-everything type of guy that we love. 14 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists. Stewart lets it fly. He's shooting 40% from three-point range on 92 attempts so far this year. That is awesome. Ninety-two it, attempts so far. That it, is, I love that stat. Your pro rate that he's headed for over two hundred attempts. They balance it out inside. 
Um, they got Chemezi Metu, 13 points, 8 rebounds, and 2 blocks per game. I don't know, my friend. Could be a letdown game for Oregon. Uh, they're home. If this game was at USC, I would be all over USC. I think Oregon wins, but UCL is going to be ready to go. And it's a very underrated Pac-12 showdown in Eugene. I, I think we can absolutely 100% parallel this matchup to the UVA-Louisville matchup that we discussed earlier and bring this whole podcast full circle. Louisville coming off the gigantic win against Kentucky. Uh, they exerted a ton of effort, a ton of passion, uh, you know, a ton of goomfa into this. And, and, and Oregon is coming off the exact same type of game. They are playing a very competitive USC team. They're still undefeated, in case nobody noticed. And I'll tell you right now, McLaughlin, he is nasty. He can get to the rim almost at will. He's really crafty and unbelievably underrated athletically. He is really fun to watch. Um, and playing and matched up against like uh, he'll probably be matched up against like Pritchard or Dorsey. That's going to be an amazing matchup. Can't wait to watch that. And you know we mentioned the bigs earlier, uh, where Oregon's bigs, uh, uh, you know, kind of negated uh, UCLA's bigs. USC has a couple bigs too, so I'm I'm intrigued to see who's going to win that matchup and see like who gets the advantage there. I think some foul trouble and maybe some hangover from the uh, win over UCLA is going to happen here. I- I'm going to say it's going to be closer than you think. Definitely. And and from there, we just got a couple left. The next big one I want to talk about is Duke, Virginia Tech. I talked about Virginia Tech last time, Gus. Why don't you give your thoughts on them? This is a tricky, tricky game that's a, a noon game uh, on Saturday. Yeah, you know those noon games. Uh, you know, I'm going to go a little off script here and just give you my like little opinion on these, on these uh, vacation break matchups. Okay. Um, again, you and I have the, the valuable insight of being a, a former uh, college athletes, and, and we, we, we know this because we lived it. Um, that vacation break where there are no students on campus and you are an athlete still trying to stay in your rhythm and your, in your routine, it is impossible to do it. No matter how disciplined you are, no matter how much structure your program has, how great your coaching staff is, um, you're just going to feel a little off because it's not the same vibe on campus. A number of students are home for vacation. Um, you might be playing in a different arena, like you mentioned with the Wichita State-Oklahoma State game. Um, so you might have a change in venue that's going to change your rhythm. Um Every good team is due for a slip-up just because of the change in the routine and the change uh, of the vibe on campus. Um, This can be one of those games, that noon game. Maybe people are coming back from vacation. Maybe people aren't. You you just don't know what you're going to get. It's it's a wild card. But So just to get to the game – it's a really nice slate of of New Year's Eve games here, and this is going to start us off at noon. Number five, Duke visiting Virginia Tech. Uh, Mike talked about them on his solo podcast. Love what Buzz is doing. Uh, Duke is obviously going to be without Grace and Allen um, due to the suspension. Uh, we like that Coach K, uh, Coach K took him out of an important game because this is not going to be an easy game. Um, and Buzz Williams has definitely circled this game on his calendar. He knows that this is going to be like, where do we stand? It's kind of like we talked about with TC, like how good are we going to be? Got off to a good start. This is the third season for Buzz, so like all of his, uh, all of his like uh, standards, uh, all of his uh, mantras uh, that he put in at Marquette and were really successful with are now taking hold. So he wants to see like let, let's see some fruits of my labor here. I want to see how we measure up against the best of the best. This is a huge game, and you know what? They can win it. Um, this brings me back to like uh, you know when Coach Greenberg had uh, Virginia Tech like really active, and they pulled up that upset with Duke. Sure, two-time uh, ACC Coach of the Year. Yeah, and, and, and uh, game day was there that time. Uh, so th- this totally brings me back to that atmosphere for Virginia Tech. The Hokies have a really unique situation happening here, right? Their leading scorer, Zach Liday, who you mentioned in the last pro- podcast, actually comes off the bench. He doesn't start. And an all-ACC all ACC performer last year, Seth Allen, also comes off the bench. And he's averaging 11 points a game. So he's both of those guys are sacrificing – uh, uh, minutes played, points per game, things on their stat sheet for the betterment of the team, which is pure Buzz Williams. Pure Buzz Williams. The key to the the key to their team has been the development of Chris Clark. Uh, he's increased his scoring each of the last four games: 12, 13, 17, 22. And even more impressive for a guard, he's increased his rebounding. So he he's kind of like Kenneth Williams from TCU, where he's got 12 rebounds, 11 rebounds, 12 rebounds in each of the last three games. So this young Duke team is going to be up against it, especially without Allen versus a hungry team, a a veteran deep team, a team that sacrifices uh, 
a team that is ready to pull an upset in Blacksburg. And we know about Thursday and highlighted games in Blacksburg for football. Let's see if they can bring it around for basketball. I'm going to call right now. I'm going to lock it up. Virginia Tech's winning this game. Totally confident. I think the freshmen aren't ready for this type of game in the conference. Kennard, they're going to be all over Kennard. No Grayson Allen means they got to go into their bench early. Virginia Tech is ready. This is Buzz Williams' third year. He did it with Marquette. He's going to do it here again. The, Virginia Tech's winning this game. I'm calling it right now. Oh, I love that we're going to try to end the podcast on a huge upset that we can either praise you for or we can say, oh, boy. We were a little off on that one. So I like that we're going to go back and revisit some of these prognostications. Um, folks, you heard it here. Mike Randall called on the Screen the Screener podcast. The Hokies taking down the Blue Devils. And we got two left here. Uh, we'll do real quick. First one is Louisville, Indiana. What's fascinating to me, Gus, about this one is that somebody's going to have a two-game losing streak, which would shock me a week ago. Indiana lost to Nebraska at home. That's a Nebraska team that 10 days earlier lost at home to Gardner-Webb. All right? This is why college basketball is the best sport out there. This is why we love it. Louisville, you know, as uh, Patino said, he goes, we have kryptonite, and our kryptonite is Virginia. So someone's going to come out of here winning this game. I have no clue who's going to win this game. This one I am not picking. Um, no, I'm going to stay away from this one, too. And, again, we look at this game, how they're ranked now. These easily could be two Final Four teams come March. Exactly. Um, Absolutely. I, I don't know what's going to happen here. Nebraska now, that was a huge win that they had uh, against Indiana because now Nebraska is going to Maryland on a separate note in January 1st, and then they host Iowa Northwestern, so they could get out to a 4-0 start. But someone's losing two games here. If you made me pick, I would pick Louisville. Because I trust them with that win over Kentucky. I feel like that was a slip and they're going to come ready to go over Indiana, even though the game is on the road. And oh, by the way, how hot will that CP Gus if Tom Green loses two games in a row at home? Man, and it shouldn't be, but it will definitely heat up. And you know what? I think this is going to be a cool game to watch if for no other reason because you want to see how both teams, how the student athletes, and how the coaching staffs both react to a big time loss. Like you want to see what they're going to do to circle the wagons. You want to see what adjustments they're going to make. You want to see if there's a shakeup in any of the lineups or any of the rotations. You want to see if there's a, a, a different uh, uh, core group of guys that are going to play together that haven't found uh, space on the court. So I'm intrigued to see how they're both going to attack coming off a loss. That's what I'm going to be looking for. And that game's at 12.30. That one's on CBS on New Year's Eve. And the last game I want to talk about, Gus, because I'm locking this one up too. You are the fishy line guy. You get your Gus right now, I think he's 7-2 and two in the fishy lines. He's beating all the pros out there who are like 55%, not even close. I'm telling you this one. I only go to locks when I'm sure. I'm telling you, Creighton is beating Villanova. I've been saying it for a week. I think that they're ready to go. They're being underrated. They dropped a spot. How's that possible? In the rankings, Villanova had a world of hurt against DePaul at home. They were in trouble in that game. Creighton mm -hmm. is going to win this game. I have not felt as sure about a game as I did about Xavier beating Villanova last year when they were number one. Maurice Watson Jr., they shoot well at home. It's at 1 o'clock. So you got your Duke game at noon on ESPN2. You got Louisville, Indiana at 1230 on CBS. And then Fox Sports 1. I told my wife, we're going to dinner with friends. We're not going until this game is over. Creighton is beating Villanova. It's nothing against Villanova. I don't want to hear from Mike from Fairlawn complaining. Creighton is ready to win this game. They're going to win it. I think they're going to win it going away. Give me Creighton. Give me Virginia Tech. And lock it up. Wow. Ah, Michael, I, tremendous. I, I love that you're going with it with it with two, uh, you know, off the radar picks and just not going shock. Love it. Both games are going to be worth watching. Uh, but now they're even now, now there's even added value to them with uh, with your prognostications. I'm I'm, I, I'm looking forward. I'm going to keep an eye on that as a, as a little sidebar for each one of these games. Uh, I, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to the Screen the Screener podcast. Uh, Mike and I are are amazed. Uh, you know, each week we take a look at Twitter, we take a look at some emails, and 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 just your reaction. So thank you so much for sharing in our excitement of of what we think is the you know the best sport that we have going. Um, thank you so much for for contributing, uh, and we'll try to include you guys more uh, in future podcasts with the 
uh, reading perhaps some tweets or maybe some emails and responding to you guys uh, uh, on the podcast. So, but we just want to say a thank you, a happy holidays, happy new year. Enjoy all the great games that we previewed for you guys this uh, this particular podcast. And and Mike and I again are just eternally thankful and, and honestly humbled. Uh, so, I got a question, Gus. Does Zach Lede screen or does Zach Lede screen the screener? Uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, Mike and I will catch up with you guys next week. Uh, please enjoy. Be safe out there for New Year's and uh, enjoy all the great basketball you're going to consume this weekend, guys. Five words. Creighton will win this game. Happy New Year. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.